Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. From abortion pills to World War III to all points in between, it's a truth or fiction Tuesday. I'm Andrew Coppins. He's Pat Oni, and this is Critical Thinking. <laughs> Happy Truth or Fiction Tuesday to you, Pat. How are you doing today? Oh, it's Tuesday and it's morning. So you tell me. It's a good day. Says the morning person. It's always a good day, Pat. Says the morning person. As opposed to the night owl? Yeah, yeah. As the, uh uh-huh. Yeah. It just says, whoo, whoo, because nobody's awake. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay, just checking. All right, so, of course, we've got Truth or Fiction Tuesday for you. We're going to be talking about uh, abortion pills and Planned Parenthood. We're going to be talking oh, about World War Three. We're going to talk about oppressive governments. And, well, let's get into the very first of the Truth or Fictions, shall we, Pat? Yes, let's shall. Okay. So we shall talk about faith-based films will be the story of the year in the movie industry. Truth or fiction, faith-based films will be the story of the year in the movie industry. Can can, can you just do me one quick favor on this one? Can you define story of the year? It will be the story that everybody's talking about within the movie industry. So you're you're not necessarily talking about just to clarify you're not necessarily talking about like the the money makers at the box office correct like we're not no defining- I'm talking about it will be the story of the year because these are going to be the films that will make tons of money that will do all the things these are the things this is the headline part of the movie industry people are going to figure out that faith based films can can win for them. The story of the year, Pat. Every year there's a story, right, within the movie industry or any industry. And 15, 20 years ago, oh, my God, you can make money off superhero movies, right? The superhero movie was the story of the year. And 10 years ago, there's a different story. Now, now, Now the story is sequel this and sequel that, right? Right. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about story of the year. I I just just wanted to clarify because I... I, I wanted to make sure that that what what you meant by story of the year is what you know you I interpret it however you want to doesn't doesn't yeah. really matter. Um, I'm 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 going to say truth, but I'm I'm gonna caveat it in a way that they will be the story of the year in terms of. They will be some of the most unique stories that Hollywood has put out in a long time. Um, because, and I'm, and I'm saying this based on comments that people like my wife make, that they don't do enough original stories anymore. It's always your, your comic book superhero movies, or it's some remake, or it's some 
nostalgic type thing. There's no original storytelling. Mm-hmm. And in this sense, I'm going to say it's truth because with these faith-based films, you're going to get original stories. You're going to get something that's not necessarily new, but original. If that makes sense. Um, sure, sure, sure. You know, we have we have uh, Nefarious coming out in April. We have the Jesus Revolution that just came out, what, over the weekend? Mm-hmm. Which I've heard is fantastic, by the way. Kelsey Grammer's um, in the movie? Yep. Yeah, I, I've not seen the movie yet. Um, it is yeah. on my list to go see, but it the it has Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It, it it looks like like it's it's not something I have seen before in any movie for some time, and I don't know that I could ever point back to a time where a faith based film was, as we say, the story of the year, per se. At least not in my lifetime. Okay, so, so I'm not talking about a single film. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. So sure, no, you're talking about a, an entire genre. Mm-hmm. So. I'm I'm just I'm just using these as examples, but it's it's I, I I'm going with truth just because like these these movies will be they will have good storytelling to them, not necessarily because they're faith based, but because they will have original and also good storytelling. So there's a reason why I picked this uh, truth or fiction statement because okay. it's truth for me. Number one. But there's a reason behind this, Pat. And it has nothing to do with the storytelling. It has nothing to do with any of that. Sure. What is okay. the only thing the back of the, the, the movie industry cares about, Pat, when it comes down to brass it's tacks? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Jesus Revolution made $15.5 million at the box office in its opening weekend, going up against Cocaine Bear and Ant-Man and, versus, and, and, Ant-Man and Wasp or whatever the hell it was, right? Uh-huh. It finished third at the box office, making $15.5 million, outperforming any expectation of its um, of its um, box office debut because it was projected by the movie industry to only make $7 million. Mm-hmm. It more than doubled that, right? That's 15.5 is more than $14 million. Right, which any, anybody would be ecstatic for that, but yeah. Now, it has some star power in it, right, with Kelsey Grammer and some of these things, but mm. this is a massive faith-based film. And, and for those who don't know, Kelsey Grammer has a very long, now a very long history of of being a faith-based individual. <laughs> um, right. He long, long ago credited uh, his faith for really kind of transforming his life. Now, that having been said, you mentioned Nefarious. We can point to other films that have come out over the first couple of months here. And you can even look back into late 2022. The movies that have been not just performing well, but outperforming expectations and outsizing production values and showing the movie industry, you don't have to spend $300 million to be able to recoup and make money, right? You can tell a great story. And people will flock to it. The other part of this, The Chosen, right? In movie theaters. 
um, the season premiere for season three broke all sorts of records. And so what we're seeing is people that are faith-based, wanting community, wanting to be able to see these messages, and flocking to theaters in droves that outside of maybe a once-in-a-grandiose movie, they're not seeing with the rest of what they're producing. And we'll, we'll see what happens with Nefarious, but I have a feeling that Nefarious is going to be this, this movie that not only breaks the mold of faith-based movies, because if you've seen the trailer for Nefarious, you wouldn't necessarily know that this is a faith-based movie, right? You, you would see this as a run of, not run of the mill, but a, a horror flick, right? Right. You would like have my to wife is going to refuse that. to see this movie because she doesn't like horror movies. I'm like, you don't understand. This is actually a movie about God. This is a move. This is a faith based movie about the the uh, the the fight of good versus evil in terms of biblical terms, not not some, you know, Jason Voorhees slasher film now. Right. So I have a very keen prediction that this is going to bring people in that will never know that this message is coming, right? Um, so when I look at that and I and I ask the question of what does the movie industry pay attention to? Again, the pocketbook. What is the continued message? Now, this has been an ongoing message really over the last three to four years, but as we look at the beginning of 2023, there isn't a bigger message to send to Hollywood than you can make money as long as you are making authentic faith-based films. And it's not, you know, your typical Hollywood drivel um, that we've seen in the last 10 to 15 years, right? Where mm. they just throw this out there and it's garbage. Like there's a, there was a faith-based film that's on Amazon Prime. I forget the name of it. My wife and I tuned out the second that the, it was about high school uh, quarterback and a, we tuned out the second that the high school quarterback's jersey changed from one shot to the next. How do you produce that low quality of a film and expect us to tune into it, right? No, don't insult me. Like, at least bare minimum have some quality production. Now, Angel Films and, and Productions do a great job of that, but this is beyond that. Um, we're starting to see major actors... You could go back to Father Stew, right? The the story with Mark Wahlberg. That was a massive box office success and a great film if you watched on Netflix. It is a true, all based on a true story and tells a really gritty story, but a faith-based story. And if you read the Bible, the Bible tells very gritty stories. It tells stories of Jesus, you know, um, talking to tax collectors and prostitutes and in the desolate of society in, in so much of the message of the gospel, the message of God in repentance, right? For sin and, and all of those things, they can be gritty messages. So when I look at that, what I'm seeing is that Hollywood is going to respond to what the audience responds to. And realistically, what we are seeing is the only audience that shows up in droves are either people hell-bent on seeing every stupid Marvel you know, movie that comes out, or people who want a good, wholesome message for their family, right? I can take my family of four, right? 
I can go with a family of four, the family of five or six or whatever. And I want to spend the money at the movie theater because I'm seeing a message that that can resonate, that is good and wholesome for a change, right? Rather than should I go take my children to this uh, this movie that might be PG, but is actually probably closer to PG-13, you know? So I think that this is going to be the story of the year, especially when you see a film like, like Jesus Revolution and then in April come nefarious in what it may do at the box office. So it'll be very, very interesting to see um, what that real story is. Now, does that translate into, you know, award nominations and stuff like that? I doubt it, but that's not the important thing. There are plenty of movies that make plenty of money. And these movies are making money hand over fist because it probably costs them less than 10 to $15 million to make this movie, right? I don't know to in the totality of what it cost them, but I'm guessing it was not a large budget, right? We're not talking $100 million or even $50 million to make this movie. So there are three things that put this in the perspective of Hollywood's going to pay attention. The audience, uh, the strength of audience, the ability to make money, and um, a genre that they can turn out new content on instead of just remakes upon remakes upon remakes. So it'll be interesting. I think this is a really interesting uh, storyline to follow when it comes to the movie industry. But Pat, why don't we get into your first truth or fiction statement? Which is, right. uh, this one actually came from a friend of ours that we follow on Twitter. Um, um, who was it again, Pat, that this one well, came Connor from? Connor Boyack. Uh, so he, he put out, he put this out, I think, last week on Twitter and said that uh, the USA is far more oppressive than the government from which the colonists separated from 250 years ago. Yep. The USA is far more oppressive than the government from which the colonists separated from 250 years ago. <sighs> I'm going to go with fiction on this. Okay, why? Are we a uh, monarchy? No. Okay. There you go. There's your answer. We don't answer to a king. We don't answer to anything. We Let's put it this way. We had no recourse to change our station 250-ish years ago, right? None. We had no recourse to do so. That was very clear if you look at the letters of correspondence, if you take a look at all of the things that were going on. It was do as the king says, do as the crown says. Yes, there's parliamentary things, but we had no representation in parliament. Um, they were imposing taxes, quartering. Are we quartering soldiers right now? No. Are we have taxes become oppressive in certain parts of this country? Absolutely, they have, but you can change your station. Take a, take a hike to Tennessee or take a hike to Florida or in some cases, Texas, although property taxes in Texas can make up for all the other things, blah, 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 blah. Right. So, um, no, we are not as no, this is fiction for me. A hundred percent. We do not have a king first and foremost. Um, we do not. Now you can make an argument. Well, look at COVID right. And the response to COVID. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that was only in parts of this country, right? Like if Great example of this is if I went up to Wisconsin during most of COVID, it was not like it was in Illinois, right? Or in Chicago. Walk around, do what you want to do. 
Maybe you have to bring a mask because some places might ask you to do so. Uh, but no, it was just not nearly as oppressive. I also look at the fact that we don't have a feudal system in terms of lords and manors and all of the things that existed 250 years ago that would have given an extra layer of oppression, right? We do not have a a system of of lords and vassals or a system of peasants and whatever. You may say, well, what, what about the working class? Right. But you know how many people start at working class and move their way up? Hundreds of thousands of them every single year. You know how many millionaires become less than millionaires? Hundreds of thousands of them every single year, Pat. So I, I, I struggle with the oppression. Uh, now, could I argue that our government has become an oligarchy? Absolutely. Can I argue that we have taken private and public and put them together? Yes, I can make that argument. But but you have the ability to change your station at some point in time. Google may be this all-encompassing, you know, brand, right? This all-encompassing company, right? But do you have the ability to start your own company today still and compete with Google? You absolutely do. And more importantly, 20 years ago, was Google what it is today? No, it was not. It wasn't. This was a this was a website that some people used as a search engine. Other people are still using, you know, Microsoft, uh, MSN, and and Yahoo was still very, very large in that in that space. And now Google has expanded into many, many, many other things. Will it use government to attempt to go after you if you become too big, too much of a competitor? Absolutely, they will. And I understand that. But you still have the ability to affect your station. So I'm going to go with this is fiction. I, I too, went with uh, fiction on this uh, for slightly different reasons than you. I, I agree on what, what you just said, because that, that, that all absolutely makes sense. I went with fiction on this because I'm, I'm so tired of people trying to apply. And this, this is I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, but trying to apply today's standard to back then. You can't do that. Um, it, it's not the same. First of all, we don't have a monarchy, like you said. We don't have slavery in mm -hmm. this country anymore. Um, you have representation in government. Um, you have representation within your own individual states. Um, <clears throat> and then on top of all of that, you can still generally do what you want to do and do what you believe for the yeah. most part. Yeah, and a great example so, of this, Pat, to to your um to your point here. Mm. Look at what happened when Nicole Hannah Jones attempted to out oppress somebody who fled communist China at the age of twenty six, right? Mm. Trying to tell her that she's watch the oppression Olympics happen on Twitter with Nicole Hannah Jones and and this person who fled Mao. There's no way in hell Nicole Hannah-Jones has been more oppressed than somebody who literally was oppressed to the point of having to leave the country. I, I, what? You yeah. in America? What? I mean, yeah. Could we could we go down and, we, and could we talk about COVID? Sure. Yeah. We, we, we could have that conversation. However, as you aptly pointed out, that was in certain areas of the country. 
Were they trying to make it nationwide and be everywhere? Yes, they were. Did it work? Did no. it work? No. You know why? Because people in certain areas of the country said hell to the no. More importantly, we use the apparatus of our federal bureaucracy, right? And the federal government and the setup of our federalist system to make sure that the courts, even if they wanted to oppress us, wouldn't allow it. Is there some level of of hardship that happens in America? Is there government fiat that happens that is not fun to deal with and not great? Absolutely there is, right? You can make, but the suggestion that we're as oppressed as we were 250 years ago to the point where either you house the soldier or you die. Like, it's as stark as that. Yeah. Now, if we ever get to the point in which that is the case, okay. If we ever yeah. get to the point in which, you know, uh, uh, Joe Biden suddenly throws the shackles of the Constitution off and says, I'm changing the rules and and uh, try to depose me, we have a problem, right? Or or right. Donald Trump or anybody else, right? Left or right. right. And then we have some problems. Is that possible? Absol- absolutely anything is possible. In this world. But the suggestion for me that that we're oppressed in America, there ain't nobody oppressed in America. Nobody that is oppressed in the United States of America. Not even the the un unhoused, as people like to call the homeless. You ain't oppressed. You want oppression? Check out China. You want oppression? Check out Russia. You want oppression? Check out the caste system that still exists in India. And tell me about oppression. Go to Venezuela. Go, go to, to Venezuela. Go to Cuba. Go go to Peru, right? <laughs> go to go to Central and South America and talk to me about oppression. No, get get out of here with that for me. I just I, I can't see it. Yeah. Can I see that our government is attempting to steal liberty? Yes. Yes. That is a wholly different discussion than oppression. They are attempting to steal your liberty. They haven't oppressed you in one bit yet. Yet. Not one bit. Now, again, leaving COVID aside, because local and state governments attempted to oppress those of us who wished not to you know, um, pledge fealty to the idol of um, the science trademark, the truth registered trademark, our Lord, Savior, President, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, they tried to do that. It just didn't work. Oh, shucks, Pat. You know what? I, I, you know what I can't do here in Chicago? What I couldn't do when for a little while, Pat? You know what I couldn't do? Go to a restaurant. Shit. You mean to tell me I don't have to spend like $200 at a restaurant? And more importantly, how 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 big of a uh a BS that that was? You know how many restaurants I walked into that didn't care? <laughs> a oh, lot. lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of them. To the point where I think if it, if somebody had that in your group, that's all that matters. 
They they gave two rips. But yeah, I just I can't. Yeah, I I don't see it. All right. With that out of the way, Pat, I think it's a great time for us to play a little bit of the B or not the B. Are you ready? I'm always ready. Yeah, that's debatable. All right. So today's headline, government warns that reading Tolkien, Lewis, Orwell, and John Locke radicalizes people into far-right extremism. Government warns that reading Tolkien, Lewis, Orwell, and John Locke radicalizes people into far-right extremism. And while you are thinking about whether this is the B or not the B, Pat, do not forget, folks, if you are here in the state of Illinois, if you are in the shout of my voice here in the city of Chicago, I would be happy to help you with your home selling and home buying needs. Believe it or not, the low inventory is trumping the um, lower buyer pool that exists from a year ago. That's right. Prices are still stagnant. In fact, Pat, did you know in the month of January, the time to market was actually down 11% in the month of January, despite 40% lower sales, despite the lack of, uh, of inventory. H how does that happen? Because there are fewer homes and still more buyers than homes exist. And Lawrence Yun, the chief economist of the National Association of Realtors, put it this way. We have to build more homes. We need government to get the bleep out of the way. We need to start building homes in order for the more balanced market to become even more balanced. We are, we are not going to get out of that price um, bubble, if you will, across the country. Chicago's a little bit unique, but across the country, what you are likely seeing in other areas is prices are still insane. The market is still red hot. People are scooping up houses within hours, within days, not just weeks. Here in Chicago, things are a little bit different. In LA, they're a little bit different. They're different all over the place. But if you are interested in, uh, in taking advantage of the fact that there is low inventory, which means you have a better ability to sell your house for more money than in a saturated market, well, call me. Text me, DM me, all sorts of wonderful goodness. You can find me um, at Andrew Coppins on TikTok, at Andrew Coppins Realtor on Instagram, and of course, closewithcoppins.com. Go to closewithcoppins.com. Again, licensed realtor in the state of Illinois with Exit Strategy Realty. I would love to help you with your real estate needs. All right. So, Pat, with all of that out of the way, the lecture of the low inventory and price stagnation despite all of the inflationary pressures and 7% or 6.5% uh, and continuing to rise interest rates. Um, if your life is changing, it's very simple. That, that If you want to know when the time is right to sell your house or to buy, if your life situation is changed and you either need more or need less or need to move out or into a place or a city county, municipality, that's the right time to buy or sell. That, it's just that simple. Um, now, with that being said, Pat, do you need the headline one more time? Uh, yeah, one more time. 
government warns that reading Tolkien, Lewis, Orwell, and John Locke radicalizes people into far-right extremism. Is that the B or not the B? It's so it's so dumb. For real, so dumb. Oh, so dumb. That it has to be not to be because I could actually see them saying this. Well, you are correct, my friend, because the full headline is report. British government warns that reading Tolkien, Lewis, Orwell, and John Locke radicalizes people into far-right extremism. From Not the Bee and uh, Joel Abbott. Here's a little gem I missed last week, courtesy of author Douglas Murray. (coughs) From Douglas Murray in The Spectator. Can you really be radicalized by great British railway journeys? My column in this week's Spectator at are on the UK government's prevent program gone mad. At first glance, it seems like an obscure article about British railroads, but it is so much more than that. Britain has a government program called Prevent, founded in 2019 to research what causes a Muslim to become a terrorist. I want you to think about this. They are literally... Hint, it's reading the Quran, by the way. (laughs) Astral Abbott puts it. But as as part of this department, there is something called the Research Information and Communications Unit, or RICU, that looks into materials that cause people to become radicalized. The entire program is based off of a World War II propaganda ministry that might be considered a blend between Orwell's Ministry of Truth and C.S. Lewis's National Institute for the Coordinated Experiment. Nice. Since it would be very bigoted for this program to look into the actual ideologies that are causing the vast, overwhelming majority of violence, terror, and crime on the planet, they had to make sure that they gave those evil conservatives and Christians a shakedown. Quote, last weekend, the press reported on an analysis done by Prevents Research Information and Communications Unit in 2019. This analysis looked into social media users described as actively patriotic and proud. Oh no, anything but actively patriotic and proud. Anyhow, according to the Riku, there were warning signs if people absorbed information or opinions from pro-Brexit and center-right commentators. The Daily Caller notes what the report does and does not focus on. Quote, in the review itself, written by William Shawcross, he notes that while the boundaries for extremist Islamist ideology are too narrow, boundaries around the idea of extreme right-wing ideology are too broad. This apparently hinders prevent from effectively dealing with the risk posed by the mindset. This, uh, but doesn't it also ignore a whole other ideological spectrum of extremist far left ideologies too? In fact, Shawcross barely makes mention of left wing ideologies throughout the entire report. He doesn't mention communism. He doesn't mention China nor Russia. Not only is Riku trying to brand their countrymen as deranged MAGA types who have the gall to love God and country while ignoring the danger of rising left-wing violence, but the texts it thinks might cause somebody to become such a based mega-chad or an all-right domestic extremist are hilarious. Now, this goes back to The Spectator and Murray, okay? Quote, There is also a reading list of historical texts which produce red flags to Riku. These include Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes, John Locke's Two Treaties on Government, Edmund Burke's Reflections on the Revolution in France, as well as works by Thomas Carlyle and Adam Smith. Elsewhere, Riku warns that radicalization could occur from books by authors including C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, Aldous Huxley, 
and Joseph Conrad. I kid you not. Though it seems that all satire is dead, but the list of suspects books, of course, includes 1984 by George Orwell. Question for you, Pat. Leviathan mm-hmm. by Thomas Hobbes. Have you read it? Mm, I read parts of it back in college. It's mm-hmm. been forever. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. 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 You radical bigot. Um, Have you ever read um, anything by John Locke? Again, excerpts in college, but that that's about it. What do we know about John Locke, Pat? Social contracts. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also a radical socialist in the 1700s. After advocating for free government, right? Freedom, people, all that sort of stuff, right? John Locke became a radical communist, basically. A precursor to communism. Um... I'm pretty sure communism isn't far right. Yeah. Um, do, do you know what I'm surprised didn't make that list? Mm-hmm. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about it. Think about it. Are the stories in the Bible not radical? In in the sense of how they're talking about radical? Now, I mean, let's be real here. I mean, John Locke, right? is among the most influential, as Stanford puts it, influential political philosophers of the modern period in the two uh, treatises of government. He defended the claim that men are by nature free and equal against claims that God has made all people naturally subject to a monarch. He argued that people have rights such as right to life, liberty, property, that have a foundation independent of the laws of any particular society that terrorist. Right. I, I just what? So question. Wouldn't mm. reading the Communist Manifesto wouldn't be anything from Karl Marx be on this list? <clears throat> Which by the way, I've read parts of that too. Wouldn't anything from Mao be on this list? Read some stuff from him as well. You would think so. You commie. Well, I mean I read this. How stuff about Mein Kampf? Um Oh, wait, everybody should. I firmly believe uh, two things about World War II Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to number one, everybody should should read Mein Kampf. Every single person in this world needs to know what that thing was because it is an abomination, number one. But number two, people took it seriously eventually down the road. Okay, so you need to understand what you're dealing with. And then number two, every single person Whoever visits Germany needs to visit a concentration camp to physically understand. It is one thing to see pictures. It's one thing to to watch a documentary. It's a whole nother thing to stand there in front of a gas chamber, a crematorium, all of those things. It is a completely different experience. And you don't get it until you stand in front of it. You really don't. I mean, you barely get any semblance of it, I think, in the Holocaust Museum by comparison. By comparison, yes. But the Holocaust Museum does great. The U.S. It Holocaust does, oh, it does Museum. a great job. I'm not trying to downplay it. I've been there. Yeah. It, it, do, it really does do a great job. But to actually go to an actual concentration camp, it's, it's totally different. 
Yeah, uh, 100%. All right, with that out of the way, Pat, it is time for our second truth or fictions. I'm going to go first on mine. So second truth or fiction is new rules allowing bimale abortion pills will ironically kill off Planned Parenthood. Truth or fiction? I mean, on its face, on its face, it was like, well, what would be the point of Planned Parenthood if people can just do the whole abortion thing? via mail what would be mm-hmm. the point yeah on the other hand i'm gonna say fiction because sometimes you with, with especially in certain states you will reach certain stages of a pregnancy that you can't just take a pill anymore yeah i think it's 10 to 12 weeks depending mm-hmm. on the on the state right now Okay. Right, right. So, so in that sense, yeah, Planned Parenthood would still be around. Okay. So in that for that reason, I'm going to go with fiction. So I'm going to go truth here, Pat. And much like my first truth or fiction, it has to do with money. The abortion um, by mail pill costs what? Nothing. Maybe $100, maybe $10. I don't know. Um, I don't know what it costs. I don't care what it costs. Do you know how much an abortion costs? At least I'm a thousand being, bucks. I was gonna say it's it's okay. So so yeah. all of those people could take a pill by mail for ten dollars, right? Would you do that, or would you spend? Okay, let's say they subsidize it. It's five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do we know about Planned Parenthood's funding? Number one, they get most of their funding from the federal government, right? We know yeah. that. But yeah. number two, ninety. of every of all the services, right, that they add up in their budget are related to abortion. If suddenly you go from making a thousand dollars to ten dollars, Pat, is that a feasible business plan? No, it's not. No, it's not. So let's say so. Also, how what is the percentage of abortions that happen before 12 weeks? Probably close to 99%. Uh, I was gonna say probably it's probably most of them. Yep. Uh, let's say it's even seventy five percent. Does that create a budget problem for Planned Parenthood? It sure does. Okay. Even if Planned Parenthood is providing you with those abortion pills by mail, which here in Illinois they do, via telehealth, which says wink, wink, you have to be a resident of the state of Illinois and living in the state of Illinois at the time of your telehealth. How the hell do you verify that? That's what I want to know. Um, now, that having been said, Pat, how do you sustain a business model where all of your income is based off of really one service, right? Really just one service. And that service has now become a thousand percent cheaper than it was before. And multiple other places are going to be able to provide those things. Um, all of that sort of stuff. I, I don't see a sustainable model because even with the federal funding, right? Mm-hmm. You don't bring in enough business for you to be able to survive just on federal funding alone. It doesn't work. The business model is unsustainable at that point. Ironically, Planned Parenthood, Pat, also does what? Throw its 
hat in the ring, not just of providing these things, but believing in these things to the point of, yes, I advocate. I have never seen this in my entire life, Pat. Well, I take that back. I take that back. I've seen this with the education associations during COVID, and I've seen this with um, woke businesses during COVID. These are the only two other times I've seen it, in which literally industries advocate for their own extinction. That's what they're at. They advocated for this. They pushed for this. Why did they push for it? Why? Because it's about being able to, <clears throat> to take this as far as humanly possible. So <clears throat> when I take a look at this, Pat, I, I don't see a sustainable business model that, that works because you're, you're going to rely on the now what? Let's say... 25% at a at a really high threshold i would suggest it's probably less than 1% of the abortions that will be committed after 12 weeks maybe 15 weeks mhm okay the abomination that is abortion you cannot sustain a business model more importantly based off of this now additionally Planned Parenthood has to abide by state and local laws, right? So if they were to be caught dealing these pills to people who live in states that ban this practice, what do you think the punishment's going to be, right? Right. They're, gonna, they're going to sue them out of business. So they have to be abundantly careful with this because you know dang well that states that have this ban in place are going to be vigilant hawks over this type of stuff. So we can talk about that. We can talk about all those things. For me, I look at this and say, there's no sustainable business model in this world, in this realm, when these pills are available at dirt cheap compared to in-person abortion. That's the reality of, of this situation. I'm looking at it from an economic perspective, let alone a philosophical perspective, let alone the horrific idea that somebody can just take a pill, kill a living, growing human being inside of them, let alone what we know about the repercussions of this, Pat, of people hemorrhaging out, of people having uh, ungodly symptoms. People who end up dying weeks, months, years later because they don't realize that uh, that abortion pill still left uh, body parts and and uh, fluids and things like that still in that mother. Yes, that's right, body parts. Talk to Abby Johnson about that. Okay. Former Planned Parenthood person of the year. Who literally has told us time and time again what happens when these medication-induced abortions happen. That's what these pills are, okay? Body parts still left inside because it turn, churns up the body, but it doesn't expel the whole thing. It's disgusting. It's a terrible practice. Beyond all of those things that we all believe in the pro-life movement, okay, beyond all of that, the pure economics of this, 
It makes zero sense for Planned Parenthood to be in this business, number one. It makes zero sense for Planned Parenthood to be advocating for this because it will kill their business. And I'm all about killing their business off. That'd be great, grand, fantastic. I find it ironic that they would do that to themselves. I, I hope you're right. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'd, I'd love to see them commit suicide um, fundamentally as a company. Uh, I, I, I would love to see that happen. However, I don't think they care. I don't think they care about the economic side of this. Uh, I think they see it as the government's never going to let us fall. Um, they'll, they'll just raise their donations or, or raise their government funding somehow. Um, yeah, you know, and they, they, expecting they, anything different from a Republican majority government in 2024 right. is right. fool's gold because we've had right. decades upon decades to to take the hammer you know, right to them and say, no, 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 no more federal funding. Go get it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I hope you're right. I just, I, I don't think, I I don't, when it comes to the economics, I just don't think they care. Well, I think they have to care. How are you going to pay your rent in your buildings? How are you going to pay this? How are you going to do that? How do you pay the, the, the people who work in your buildings? You, You can't at, you may be sustainable. The run rate, right? The run rate of what you get for funding versus what you can take in for services. You have to look at that. And that's that's what I'm looking at. So it'll be interesting. But with that having been said, Pat, it is time for your second truth or fiction, which is truth or fiction. We will be in the world, we will be in World War III within five to ten years. We'll be in World War III within five to ten years. I'm gonna go with truth on this. Um and, and I'm fir- I firmly believe that we will likely be in World War III by the end of this year. And the, the firm belief that I have in, in this is rooted in cynicism. I'm going to be 100% honest about that. And the cynical part of me says, says what, Pat? What would be the easiest way for Joe Biden to maintain a presidency? go to war right um part and parcel of this is history every single time that we've seen a president ramp into war okay george w bush in trouble heading into uh 2021 or 2001 and 2004 right there there ain't no way the american public was going completely john Kerry. now it got close right it got somewhat right. close. It was it was further apart than than the experts told us it was. Okay, so there's that. When we can look back at World War II, right? FDR tried to keep us out, keep us out, keep us out until when? Uh oh, I might be not reelected. Boom, got in. Now we got in for other reasons, obviously, but a large calculation that he made was very political. And trying to stay out, stay out, stay out, because why it was politically popular until, well, we couldn't not do it anymore, right? Obviously, Pearl Harbor, we could get involved in the Asian Pacific War, right? But the European side of things had a lot to do with electioneering. We can take a look at all of our 
history. And take a look at when we go to war. It's, it's very odd that we go to war just a lot right in front of an election cycle. So the cynic in me says that that's likely. But more importantly than that, Pat, we have China cozying further and further up to Russia. We have our side ramping up the rhetoric, right? We have our side um, taking, a, and, and by our side, I mean the United States government, talking tough to both Russia and China, ramping up the rhetoric over and over again. Well, what we also know is the last year and a half, almost two years now, right, since the start of this war, has been a, a, a proxy war from the very get-go. Right. So the easiest thing to do is to go that direction. I don't know how you walk back your red lines. You know, as I look backwards and study World War II, and if you ever studied that, the, the Chamberlain rhetoric, the... The back and forth between Chamberlain and um, and Hitler, and Hitler and the West in general, and Hitler and Mussolini, and Hitler and Stalin, right? It was all empty rhetoric. At the end of the day, they were still doing what? I don't know. We're, we're talking about now not just providing arms, right, and money and monetary supply, like basically ad nauseum to these people. Right. We're not just talking about that. Now we're talking about arming them and then training them with F-16s. So we are now escalating not just the rhetoric, but the actual actions that we are taking. We are walking such a fine line that that I believe one false move, one of them. We are it's not even World War Two. It is World War One. Because we are fighting that proxy war just like we were in World War One. One false move on either side, a stray bullet on either side, a stray missile on either side. We came this close, by the way, Pat, right? Just late last year when a stray missile from Ukraine going into Poland almost caused us to go to war anyway, like physical war. Not just proxy war. I, I don't see how it doesn't happen. More importantly, I don't see how China doesn't get emboldened about Taiwan. And I think that's the thing that we have to watch while all the stuff in Ukraine is going on. What is China going to do with Taiwan? Because that has a direct economic real life impact on us, the Americans. Okay. Not even just us. It's, I mean, the, there's a lot of the world that relies on Taiwan. Right, because of semiconductor production and, and all of those things. And we have a much more vested military military interest in what's going on there, more so than Ukraine. Yes, NATO. Yes, all of our friends in NATO, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, we have footed, what, 95% of the bill so far? And NATO's not really done its part once again. I don't see how it doesn't end up in something happening by the end of this year, let alone the next five to 10 years. Um, the, the, I, I was being generous when I gave the five to 10 mm-hmm. and I, I recognize that I was being generous. I, I could see it happening sooner than that. Um, 
I, I go with truth with this as well, because the, the only thing for me that's missing at this point, and, and you're right, this is more like World War One than it is World War Two. In terms of its setup, I'm not suggesting right. that that right. um yeah. All I'm suggesting is that thing- if you look at history, it fits better. This the the narrative, the pre narrative right. fits better for World War right. One than World War Two. The the only thing that's missing at this point, and and, and this is what would put us into World War Three, mm-hmm. pretty much like that, is an Archduke Ferdinand type of moment. Right, and that's what I meant by a stray bullet yeah. or a stray yeah. missile. That's all um, it's going to take. Somebody, you know, uh, attempting the life of Zelensky. Mm. Um, you know, you could even say the uh, a potential coup within Russia. Right. Right. Uh, because mm-hmm. because we've seen um, we're we're very likely actively using our CIA to do that foment that type of a situation in Russia. I firmly believe that's where we're going with this because ultimately, if it if that were to be successful, that would be how you avoid World War Three, mm-hmm. right? Is if right. Putin is de- deposed and tensions lessen and you know whatever. The other reality of this situation is I believe that this could be a very quick war, unlike the other ones, because 80% of Russia's military is where? At the border with Ukraine. Yeah. And they don't have enough supplies. They, they've got all sorts of issues there. You could start, you could choke them out in 2.2 seconds if you needed to. You just mm-hmm. literally bomb the backside of their of their 80%, right? You just bomb it. Bomb it, bomb it, bomb it. Moscow, see you later, right? And, and watch the supply line choke itself out. It, it's very, very simple in in that regard. Um, because what would you do? You would disaffect the eighty percent of the military at that point, and if they're not right. willing to fight for you anymore, you've got a problem. Now, right. China entering the equation would be a vastly different story as to what might or might not happen. So. If we're dealing with just Russia prior to China's involvement here, we're walking a very, very, very fine line in my view. We are. And uh, with the with the rhetoric that's come out over the last week from this very incompetent administration when it comes to foreign policy, um, I mean, you, you don't go down. You don't go down that kind of rhetoric unless you're willing to uh, put up, you know, so. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, do not forget, Pat. Do not forget this, though. Okay. What's that? Just hang on a second, because remember, our president, okay, the the president of the United States of America. Yeah. He may be a white boy, but he not stupid. Is, Is that a Black Mirror update? Um, no, no, no. Our president actually said that during a uh, Black History Month celebration at the White House. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. I, I mean, I saw that, but is it just kind of like one of those things? It's like, are we living in a parallel universe type of deal? Probably, Pat. Yeah. Probably. Um, I mean, he's living in the he's living in dimensional world. We're living in real world. So, so, so what is he? Like, honestly, what is he suggesting is what I want to know. Uh, is, is he suggesting that white people are stupid now? 
it, it, it kind of seems like he's saying that generally speaking. Yeah. Unless I, you're woke. I, I mean, what, what, you know how racist that is, right? Like you flip that on. I, I hate the what about isms flip that on its head. What, what does your race have to, anything to do with it? Dementia Joe. What what does it have to do with anything? I mean, this is the, it's just an asinine thing. Yep, it, it's no, beyond WTF. Like, so what you trying to say? Mm-hmm. I, I just it doesn't matter the context. Literally, is there anywhere in the point of discourse and discussion that this thing should ever come out of anybody's mouth about any race about anybody? When it comes uh, yeah, to no. this. Yeah, no. What the hell? I, if, if, here's the thing. If you're right about this whole World War III thing, and you know we, we could be in it by the end of the year. Which it, it, the I, other I part. Know, go ahead. I, I don't know if that'll happen or not. You know, but whether it's the, if it's this year, next year. I mean, how scary would it be to enter into a war with this president? And that's part of my calculation, by the way. That's <laughs> what I was going to bring up, is that we have – we have a fervent belief on this show that this is the dumbest administration in the history of this country. Like the dumbest period point blank. They'd be so dumb for real. So dumb that they would put us into world war three and we would end up being the bad guys. Yeah. Just saying. And with that, Pat, your final thoughts on today's show. Don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And uh, make sure you read some of those radical books like, I don't know, the Bible, some C.S. Lewis, some J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, J.R.R. Tolkien is, uh, yeah, even beyond, if you read beyond what he did with Lord of the Rings, like Mm -hmm. that's scratching the surface of what he did. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if you want to, here's the reality of this, Pat, for me, I I didn't think about this. What do Tolkien and uh, C.S. Lewis have in common? They were both Catholic. I was going to say, they, well, you know, C.S. Lewis was an atheist for a long time. Right, right. I understand yeah. that. But he ended up being Catholic in the end. It was, was, it, was it was a Catholic that he converted to? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, huh. Catholicism. J.R.R. Tolkien, Catholic. I'm <laughs> just saying. Um, in England? Hmm. I wonder why they would think that's radical. And with that, please be smart, be safe, be kind. Make sure you're eating all of your meals today. And as always, Matthew 547. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.